Well, okay. Well, I think it's uh, it's likely time for us to ask you some uh, questions, Shona. If you're up for a bit of an interview, sure. Shona, what's the Hi. first <laughs> book you remember reading and enjoying? I I don't. Um, so I I have been reading since before I can remember. Um, you know, my family tell stories about me reading as a toddler and been very particular about my books being put back on the shelf in the right order. <laughs> so I have no recollection of the first book that I really enjoyed. Um, just Books have just always been this massive part of my life, of me, really. I don't think I exist. Is there <laughs> a point you can remember when it turned you on to fantasy? Like a, a sort of set of stories that made you go, um, th I, this is a thing I like because I've had books, but this is books <laughs> well um i think i read a lot i mean a lot of kids books are fantasy really so yeah. i had read um you know all of it <laughs> i've read like every every kids book that my local library had um and then um, when i got access to the grown-up section in the library i actually switched to horror ah. Um, so horror was my first love um, with uh, Stephen King. <laughs> Just I read Christine when I was thirteen, and that was me. I was lost, and <laughs> until I was about sixteen, and then I remember, you know, like slouching around the house, you know, the way sixteen-year-olds have such a talent for. Um, and I'm so bored. I'm so bored. <laughs> and my dad said you know, read a book. It's like, I've read all of my books and all of the library's books and I'm so bored. And my dad threw this massive book onto my lap and said, you know, have a go at that. That will keep you busy for a while. Um, it was Raymond E. Feist's Magician. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it kept me busy for about three days. Nice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then I was like, more, <laughs> give me more. Um, well, fortunately, so there, I, is, there is bloody loads of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, they kept me going for a while. Um, and then um, the Thomas Covenant books with Stephen Donaldson. I read them mm. very quickly thereafter. And then I sort of bounced back and forward between fantasy and horror. So just going back like. that that 13-year-old uh, Shona that's uh, just absolutely captivated by horror, like, what is it about the genre that just grabs you and just wouldn't let go? I think because it feels so possible. <laughs> or, or when you're reading a really good horror book, it feels really possible. Mm. Do, you think, um, do you think that transposes over into what you would classify as like a, a, a fantasy that's good for you? Like something that feels possible? Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> Yeah, for me, I think that's when fantasy's done really well, that you can lose yourself in it, so that even if it involves, you know, shape-changing or magnificent magical creatures or earth-changing powers, um, I think if, if it's done really well, you can believe that it's possible, even though it's not. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the time that's down to the character work. Yeah. So if the people feel real then you can go with the rest of it. Yeah, I think if you can relate to a character, it's definitely easy to forgive other ludicrous stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's possibly 
part of why I fell in love with horror was because I started with Stephen King. And yeah. I think he's just so good at character work. Hmm. So I feel like his characters are really relatable. Um, not always very pleasant. <laughs> no, no. I guess I guess a lot of real people aren't either, are they? Um, no, exactly. Proof. Right, we've spent hundreds of hours on this podcast bigging up Stephen King, so we're going to big up your writing instead. Right, what gives you satisfaction while you're writing? I think it's it's kind of hard to describe. Um, when I feel like I'm saying something true. Yeah. You know, and amongst all the make-believe magic and creatures, when it feels like I'm touching on something like meaningful or you know like in in the the short stories there you'd said with twisted the the thing about um you know not being different doesn't mean you're broken yeah so like that's for me that's a true thing so i think when in my work when i managed to stumble across something like that that's underneath the work mm. that's when i feel like i'm doing a good job right and is that? I can't do it on purpose. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that that um, that process takes place inside, like that initial act of creation, like that first draft time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I find what I'm trying to say by writing the first draft. Hmm. I, I tripped and I accidentally subtext. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> My entire publishing career has been I tripped and. <laughs> 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 it's just been one lucky accident after another. So I mean, uh, I know that you do. Uh, I, I know that you have also written a uh, you've you've written a non-fiction book as well, haven't you, about the Jacobites? Yeah, that's right. Um, so it was that easier or or harder than writing fiction? If you if we're talking about like finding sort of truth and writing true things and stuff, was writing uh, uh, non-fiction easier or more enjoyable for you than writing fiction? Um. No. <laughs> um, in some ways it was easier because obviously I was just straight up telling the truth about what happened in a mm. particular time period um, alongside the um, so it's the books about the Outlander TV series and book series alongside the Jacobite Rebellion so it's looking at what happens in Outlander and then what actually happens in history um, so it felt it felt quite rewarding and mm. um, to be able to dig into that and and tell the truth about what happens it's quite a a very significant point in Scottish history but it's not one that most people know very much about and it's quite misunderstood I think right so so it was really good to be able to dig into it and talk about it properly but it was really challenging as well because I'm not a historian mm -hmm. <laughs> um so the, and because it was so significant in Scottish history, it it felt like a real turning point yeah. for how how Scotland related to England. So, just so people um, are aware of the the title, so that they can find it, this 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 nonfiction um, piece of work written by written by Shona is called "Outlander and the Real Jacobites: Scotland's Fight for Freedom." So, it's quite um, it is it is as you say like a really intense moment in in Scottish history. It's a um, fucking wicked band name. Yeah, Outlander and the Real Jacobites. Outlander and the Real Jacobites. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
did you did, have you found that uh, writing a whole non-fiction book uh, like affected your your writing style at all did you have to put a different hat on or could you just sort of do it I think I did quite a lot of, you know, advance work and note taking and things. So by the time I got to actually sitting down to write the book, um, it was it was fairly straightforward, um, and it it didn't feel very different, even <laughs> even though I was obviously telling the truth instead of making stuff up. Um, when and I did a bit of fiction in between, so. Um, I wasn't writing any novels, but I did some short stories and flash pieces to sort of keep my hand in. Mm. And also because, like, I would get stuck. <laughs> you know, I think, I think whenever, um, well, I hope everyone gets stuck sometimes, but it's not just me. <laughs> but whatever I'm working on a longer <laughs> project, I always hit a point where I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this right or. And I lose my confidence, and it helps me then to go off and just do something completely unrelated. Yeah, this actually lead, leads us on to one of the questions that we were going to ask you later, but I think potentially asking you now would be a better choice. It, which is to do with your writing process, like what is your writing process? So, if this is a this, it sounds like this is an element that happens to you every time. Um, so, potentially, um, th this could be quite useful for the people that we've we've got listening to to understand your writing process a little bit more. So. The, that moment of getting stuck. What do you do when that happens? You, how do you, how do you disengage? Usually, so you know, there's always times where you'll maybe be in a scene or something and think, "I'm not quite. This isn't gelling. There's something not." And so it, that's not always. I'm totally stuck. I might just be like a little bit stuck. <laughs> in which case, just going for a walk or doing some housework or something, like you know, that sort of um, almost meditative movement you yeah. know where my body is busy doing things and my mind like can just play over it in the background living yeah yeah so that's like small stuck <laughs> i do that stuff and then i come back to the work and i maybe have an idea how to move forward um but often round about the middle <laughs> of all of the longer things that i've done in the there's middle. a point where i just lose my confidence i think and because I'm a, a discovery writer, so I don't have an outline as a general rule. And I get to this point in the middle and think, I've got no idea what was going to happen now or how to get to the end from where I am. And I don't even know if these people are interesting or if this story has anything going for it. Yeah. And that's when I have to walk away cause, because my confidence is gone. And I right. think like when I try and push through that, you know, I'll sit in front of the laptop for hours and type a paragraph and delete a paragraph. <laughs> and then, you know, that's it's time to leave it alone for a while. So, you it, sorry. sorry. So, at that point, I like to go and work on something else. And um, I'll just go and write a short story or flash fiction or make notes about an idea that I have. Mm. Um, so, you know, not, not, anything as grand as a plan of that so. but just get sort of get your mojo back sort of thing like just uh yeah. prove to yourself that you've, you've got ideas and they're good and they're, they're worth telling i like that yeah that's useful and i think being able to finish something short it gives you 
a little bit of your confidence back that you can finish it, that you can yeah. actually write a whole thing <laughs> with a, you know, a structure and a plot and stuff like that, yeah, that yeah. you understand those, um, those building blocks. Do you find yourself sort of leaping out of the bath or sprinting home halfway through a walk? <laughs> oh, fuck, I've got it! And then having to <laughs> full dash back to your writing zone. Yes, yeah, it's quite like that. <laughs> and I've been known to get up in the middle of the night, you know, because I've been lying awake, kicking over something, and suddenly I've got it, and I get out of bed at half past two in the morning <laughs> and put up the computer. Like, right, I have to get this down while I've got it. So, it's... It... It sounds like you know a very natural process for you. It's it's that up and down and back in and out and letting your brain mull it over. So how do you know? How do you know when you're done? How do you know when you've hit the ending? Was it just half? <laughs> it's just a name. I'm sorry. I know that's you not go, really helpful. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> like I think it is just it's intuitive. Yeah. So it just feels like the end. Mm. It doesn't always. It doesn't always stay that way after. The now, ring, I was just going to ask you whether, like that initial feeling of that ending, whether that is typically always the end that you you do reach, or does you know in in the drafting process does that move around a little bit? With my first book, it moved quite a lot. So when I finished the first draft of my first book, and then I sent it to a few, um, you know, beta readers. Um, who had a look and one of them came back and said, uh, you've started and finished the story too late. Oh. Oh. Interesting. He talked over because I was like, hey, what? And um, so in the first draft, I had started pretty much like the opening page was the inciting incident. And he was like, you need to go back and give us some context before you give us this inciting incident. Um. And one of the characters in that book, throughout the first draft, he came into the first draft as a sort of small side character and then became very important as I wrote. So I had to go back and give him more of an intro so that his arc worked better. Mm. Um, and then I finished the book earlier. And I think part of the problem with that is that book's the first book in a trilogy. Yeah. And the whole trilogy is an arc you know it's one story so each book stands individually with its own arc but it's a whole story over the three yeah books um so in the first draft of the first book i had you know like the first book and then a bit of what should have been the start of the next one mm. so it was like i was starting to bring the action back up again instead of leaving it at a nice yeah. there. it's exciting stuff just going back to the uh the beta readers section like the that is a fascinating process I, I i think and i found um do you have a do you have a sort of process for um receiving feedback and also for giving it like is there a is there a sort of a way that you that you have that you approach these things like in order to be able to handle it and give it so when when i'm seeking feedback on something that i've written um if it's just a short story then i just ask on Facebook, <laughs> you know, they've got some time to read the story and a bunch of people have volunteered right. and I send it out to them. If it's a longer piece like a, a novel, then there's specific people whose feedback that I'm especially interested in because they're maybe writing similar 
works or there's a theme that I know they're interested in. So I'll approach specific people. Um, so already I have an idea of the type of feedback that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be, I'm not convinced the structure is quite right. Or it might be, um, you know, I have this sort of subplot going and I'm not sure if it's clear what's happening between the characters or if I need to draw it out a bit more. So usually what I'll do is send them the work along with a few questions on specifics like that. And then I'll ask them for anything else that occurs to them as they read. It's fascinating. Um, and obviously, be because I've selected the people that I'm asking, then I have an idea of what their experience is, what their interests are, what they might like and what they might not like, and yeah. the bits that they might not like that I think stand anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I take what I want from, <laughs> from the feedback and ignore the rest. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good way to do it. Uh, so, let's, let's go with a hard question. What is your favourite novel? I can't answer. <laughs> you must answer. <laughs> How could there possibly be just one? I think that one of the best ways to look at this question is to think rather than like you are defined by this for all eternity, instead, <laughs> what's the first book that popped into your head when the question was asked? You know, what what's the what's the mood? What colour are you wearing today? That kind of thing. Uh so probably it. Stephen King, nice. Yeah. Definitely. And is that, that isn't where it all started for you though, is it? That was, it was a different book. Sorry, you mentioned it. it. I think I've forgotten it. Yeah, uh, it was Christine. It was the first one that I read. I think it's far better than Christine. <laughs> and was that, did you read, uh, did you read it a, f a fair while ago as well? Or was it, was that like early in your appreciation of Stephen King or did you discover it a bit later? I think I first read it sort of late in my teens or maybe when I was about 20, mm -hmm. um, but I've read it three or four times since then. Have you got uh, opinions on the movie adaptations? Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, I don't like them. <laughs> um, it's not, I think that they're fine as movies. I don't really like how they relate to the source material, but... Yeah. I often don't really like the adaptations of his work. Like, it, I feel like they just don't really, mm. they don't really translate so well to the screen a lot of the time. I do, I do just know that it's particularly pertinent today, just because of, as, of, as of recording, my understanding is he released a, uh, an interview or something yesterday, or maybe this morning, talking about the books of his that he wants turned into movies. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, if somebody asked me that, and I had as many books as he's got out, I'd just say... All of them? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, whatever you do with them doesn't matter to what I've already done with them. You may as well just make make them all into movies. Um, send but, me the uh, residuals. Yeah. yeah, just send me residuals for the rest of my life, even more. If, um, if I'd written as much as Stephen King and someone said, which of your books do you want turned into movies? I'd have to open my own Goodreads. Just to, <laughs> just to be like, hang on, yourself what you've doing, written. Yeah, I've been doing this for fucking ages. Give me a minute. <laughs> Wait, was this one from? Was this one from the Coke years, or was this from? Uh, oh no, no, it was after that. <clears throat> I know that's because he talks about um, how you know there's books that he hardly even remembers writing because he was wasted half the time. Yep. Yeah. And then um, you know he doesn't remember writing Kujo and think Kujo's superb. <laughs> it's like such a clever, clever book. 
and yet he was just out his face. Absolutely. Just right, just riding the rails the whole time. It's just not fair. We <laughs> need to work at this. Absolutely. I mean, we, we haven't tried this. Maybe we should do an episode, right? <laughs> no, I think we're chatty enough. <laughs> no, we're definitely chatty enough. We don't need to add a <laughs> add a drug that makes you into an asshole. <laughs> we don't have stories, but I am working on a screenplay. <laughs> there you go. There's always a screenplay. So, right, we need to move on with this. Do you listen to music when you're writing? And if you do, what kind of stuff do you listen to? My preference is generally to write in silence, but um, but I have three children, which means my house is often quite noisy <laughs> and I get quite distracted by, you know, the kids fighting in the other room. <laughs> um, so if during school holidays and things when they're all home when I'm trying to work, I like to put music on just to drown them out a bit. <laughs> That sounds awful. <laughs> they are being supervised by another adult. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, so then I prefer to listen to things that don't have uh, a lot of lyrics because I get distracted by the words in it. And then I start typing the words <laughs> of the song instead uh, of the bit. I can, I can definitely appreciate that. I know I know Nico is better at listening to music whilst he's writing than I am, but I actually tried it for, for this story that, um, that I've written uh, for this episode. Um, to just the whole time be listening to music. And I used a playlist that um, we were pointed to by a previous guest who I think his episode will be coming out after this one. Um, and I found it really difficult, even when they were just no lyrics, because of the way that the if the tone doesn't match what I'm writing, it, I found it so jarring. I had to, like, I found myself fiddling, fiddling with the playlist too much whilst I was trying to write. Um which I guess is a is a is a pitfall because I sort of can't ignore when the tone's wrong. Easy, um, do you, do you find that or round by the stranglers like yeah, thirty five times on repeat? Yeah. <laughs> do you find that at all, Shona? Yeah, I do. Um, I think I think if you're trying to write like quite a gentle scene, for example, and you've got really heavy music, <laughs> you know, it it puts you mentally in a different space than what you're trying to occupy, or it does for me. Um, so I have to be quite careful about what music I play, yeah, because it does it slows me down or just pulls me away um, from the story because the the feeling isn't right. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, Nico? Do you find yourself um, sort of scanning through tracks trying to find the right one when you're writing? If you're using... so, most stuff is fine. Although I uh, last year during Nano Remo. Uh, a dear friend of ours, Scott, and I were doing a sprint together, and he was listening to some atrocious, like, high-pitched, punky hip-hop thing <laughs> before we started. And he was like, I'll change it. And as a laugh, I said, no, nah, no, nah, leave it on. And I'd been writing for about 90 seconds and realised I, I just hadn't made any sense on the page. <laughs> and it was like my brain was in a pinball machine. Yeah. I just... I, it had never happened to me before. I was like, "But dude, I'm, I'm I'm just unmuting to tell you, please put anything else on, anything else in the world." So I think even I have my limits. This was uh, during Nanorimo last year, I would have guessed. Yeah. So have you ever uh, participated in Nanorimo, Shona? Uh, not if, not effectively. Like I've tried it a couple of times. Mm. I never seem to make it all the way through the month. 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm just not really capable of working at that pace. Um, it is brutal. It is, and you know, as I mentioned, three kids, so my life's fairly unpredictable because my kids are quite young, so there's always, you know, I have this plan for how I'm going to spend my time and then someone's off school sick or, yeah. um, or you know, something like that. The kids need something. Um, and also, I have a chronic illness, which makes it quite hard for me to work every day. All right. Um, so I think trying to put myself into that, like, I really want to do it. I want to do 50,000 words in a month because it's mm. so, you know, it feels like such a great thing to do. Um, but I don't think it's really realistic for me. Oh, that's entirely fair. Yeah, I think yeah. We, 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 we gave it a go last year. Um, both Nico and I completed, but um, we did we did lose some of our companions along the way. Did you feel that the the work um, flowed really well during that time, or were you sort of struggling to get your word count in some days? Um, yeah, I I actually did feel like it did flow. Um, I would say that the quality of the first draft was significantly lower than what I would normally perceive as my quality in a first draft. Just right. be just because it was, especially towards the end of the month, it was just like. It it was still going, but. I could tell that so many sentences were just like filler sentences that yes. it wasn't like it, it, it sort of didn't really feel like, although I, I went well over the word count by the end of, cause I think we finished about six days early or something like that. Yeah, um, like it just sort of felt like I knew that I was going to have to kill at least half of those words. So I don't know how really how efficient it was in terms of actually producing a novel really. Um, I think I I probably would prefer to go at a, at a slower pace or just find a way to sort of fortify my mind against that. Um, potentially, maybe that's just the first time trying it that that's happened for me. But we'll find out next month, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah good luck. Yeah. Right. Speaking of things that uh, you don't get on with, what's the least enjoyable trope of fiction for you? The one that just turns you off when you read it? Um, strong female characters that are basically just a dude in a dress. Okay. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. Have you got any examples? Uh, not off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> I think I stopped reading the sort of fantasy that had that a long time ago. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what, what are the sort of hallmarks so that we can sort of see if we can think around it? Um, so... <clears throat> It's like there was a, a time period, I think, where people were saying, we want strong female characters in our fantasy. And everyone just interpreted that to mean female warriors. So then you have female characters who battle and who joke about with the lads and, you know, are craft and wield the sword just, yeah. just as well as anyone and are constantly proving how physically strong they are. Yeah. And it, it, it feels like it was just really missing the point. Someone somewhere just scribbled Aragorn, but with a minge question mark into a pad. Savage. <laughs> oh. And I feel like I read a, lo a load of that like in my early 20s. Um, like I said, I can't remember any specifics right now because I abandoned that yeah. um, very quickly because it just annoyed me so much. I think a, a lot of people in that where that trope has kind of appeared from 
is people trying to make a character like Ellen Ripley, who wasn't a man in a dress, but was a woman with all of the qualities to fulfill the role that a masculine character could have because yes. the character was written genderless. And what they took that to mean was, well, it will just have the same character, but yeah, like with a wig on, essentially. And that's, yeah, it's a horrible loss to to what could be some really great stories with some really intuitive storytelling. Because Potentially, though, like maybe it's a mistake that uh, the writing sort of community, I, I, not really community effort, but like maybe that that we needed to make as a people <laughs> yeah. um, to sort of come out the other side of it. But, you know, just, just positing a, another option there. Like, uh, I mean, potentially the dri- the initial drive must have come from a place where there just simply weren't enough female characters and there weren't enough... And even though it's not actual represent, it's like false representation, isn't it? But um, potentially, might it have led to proper? Yeah, I think it probably was a step, you know, along the the road to having more female characters, Mm -hmm. and they weren't always damsels in distress. Because before that, you know, the female characters were there to be rescued by the hero. (laughs) Um, But I think we obviously have much, much better representation nowadays you've got some great female characters in fantasy of the warrior variety and the softer kinds both um, <laughs> yes sometimes i'm the same person it's brilliant um fantastic god have, have you got any examples of that the more positive one oh loads <laughs> um so off the top of my head um the main character in the broken earth trilogy from N.K. Jemison. The character's name escapes me right now. Essen, is it? Uh, uh, I actually, I, it's it's been on my reading list for a while, but I haven't I haven't encountered it. So you're gonna have to lead me through it a little bit. Is it? This is this is a. Is this a sort of like uh, can be held up as like a how to do this really well? Yes, I think so. She's she's very strong. She is occasionally physically strong. Um. But she's like mentally strong. She holds the people around her together. Sometimes, even though she doesn't really want to. <laughs> mm. um, you're, you're telling me there's a, a story where there's a character who's multifaceted, makes decisions based on their own beliefs, and has <laughs> interesting. I refuse to believe any of this. It can't be done. Can't be done. Not only that, but she's female and she's black. <laughs> oh. I was going to say, we might have just lost some of our listenership. But if we did, good. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) They're not here. (laughs) They would not be here. They would not have lasted like 98 episodes or however much we're in at the moment. Absolutely not. I thought it was right because it was two blokes, but then they started talking like all about books and that. (laughs) Right. Speaking of talking about books and that, we were doing it. Shona, if you could adapt any book into another medium... What book would you choose? To what medium would you adapt it? And why? Tough question. Great. I love this question. Get some brilliant answers. See, it's so hard because I so often feel like books are perfect as they are. That's fair. I know we, we, <laughs> we did speak about um, Stephen King's books being you adapted like earlier. It, yeah. You don't, and you don't like it, so you don't have to adapt them to a movie. You can do it to any medium. 
you could turn the very hungry caterpillar into a carnival if you wanted, for example. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's a few books that I would love to see on screen. Um, R.J. Barker's anything by R.J. Barker. Actually, I was going to say the Tide Child books, but his first trilogy. Um, so we've actually that? we actually had R.J. Barker on very reasonably early in in our um absolutely podcasting top, journey top in the, the guest. He was fantastic. We had such a good time talking to him. And he's just a joy, really, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, so I would I would fully endorse uh, him getting movie deals. <laughs> I would love to see his work yeah. on screen. It's so creative. Um, Mike Brooks, his um, this uh, this first one's called The Black Coast. I can't remember the name of the series. Godbreaker Chronicles. I will double check on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. We will, of course, cut this bit out. Yeah. God King Chronicles. There we go. <laughs> right. So, Mike Briggs, the God King Chronicles are excellent um, books, and I think would be really interesting on screen are we going movies are we going tv series what's the play no as a general rule i think fantasy works better in tv series i think yeah. that it needs the space for de character development and the, to explore the world because there's so much in them it feels like a movie never really does it justice especially now they're they're throwing so much money at um the the tv series of uh, adaptions isn't it it's it's so like it's possible. Like we're not just talking like the old sort of like nineties kind of crap ones. These, <laughs> yeah. these these HBO and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all all, all that shit. They're all they're all really uh, putting up the money for them, aren't they? You um, out of your mouth, boy. <laughs> 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 but um, but you know, obviously it can work. I mean, what what's your what's your opinion on the um, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings series movie series? I haven't seen them. I'll give you my geek card. <laughs> oh right, really? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Have you have you have you read Lord of the Rings? Yeah, when I was young, um, mm -hmm. I read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings when I was about twelve or so. Um, and I enjoyed them both. I was not overwhelmed. I understand that that probably is <laughs> make people no, hate I'm, me. I mean, you can you, you, know? you can you can say whatever you want. I mean, I think the. You know, there's, it's perfectly reasonable to to not like um, a series. Uh, you know, and there is there is a great deal of love for it. But you know, I, I've I've criticised Tolkien's writing before in the past. Like, I, I do find parts of it extremely dry. Um, yeah. But um, I don't I mean, like. The, yeah, the the movies are very good, in my opinion. The movies are very good. Um, I I it was such a magical moment for me as a kid watching them um, that it's very difficult to sort of critically essay them maybe but um i think i think they're pretty pretty bloody good myself don't worry ben i'm gonna say this quietly because then shona can't hear me that's how it works <laughs> right? um, so what we're gonna do we're gonna go to fantasy con a day early <laughs> this year and we're gonna lock shona in a room and we're gonna watch the lord of the rings trilogy 
<laughs> Howard Shaw's soundtrack on full blast, of course. Just blaring <laughs> through the entire convention centre. Yeah. Excellent. It sounds good, doesn't it? There's nothing like a good. Nico makes a mean lembas bread as well, so you can uh, you can you can indulge. Um, fantastic. So, where should people start reading your work? What what should they pick up first, and where where can they pick it up? So, Ashiel Rising is the first of the Vessel of Caladine trilogy, and it was my first novel, so I guess that's a good place to start. Um, you can buy that, you know, all the usual places. Amazon, unfortunately, Blackwells, mm-hmm. uh, Waterstones, you know, pretty much anywhere. Um, that was recently re-released. So it was originally released in 2017 by Unbind. Um, but it was um, bought over by Grimble Books. So it was re-released by Crystal Chris- Inc., which is an imprint of Grimble Books. It came out um, in June, I think. Wonderful. Not long ago. Exciting. <laughs> and the other two books in the trilogy are scheduled for release soon, so they'll be out um, within the next year. Right. We'll so they're all there. they're all written, ready to go. Ish. <laughs> ish. Ish. Yeah. Classic. Classic. My my client has no further comments on this. <laughs> No, glad to hear it. That's that's really cool to be able to do that. I know um, that was something that uh, Joe Abercrombie did with his recent trilogy that he that he produced. He he got to a point where he could just sort of afford, I guess, to just write them pretty much all at once, and then release them one a year. Systematic, you know, like just let let them go in in a proper order. Completely showing George Martin up. I would I would like to add. Um, well, I'm st- still waiting on wins, George. I'll add another mark to the waiting for winds of winter. Yep. <laughs> so they they can grab this from um from a bunch of places, but also um they can read more about your work at your website, can't they? Which is shonakinsella dot com. Yes, that's right. Where else can people fo- like? Where, should they follow you on Twitter? Yes, you, you can follow me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, it's at shona underscore kinsella. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm most active on Twitter as far as social media goes. Um, you can also follow the British Fantasy Society on Twitter. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was, often me that's <laughs> I was. I was just about to remind everyone about that because that that is really exciting, isn't it? Um, and you can get all the updates and stuff on the uh, on the British Fantasy community from there, I believe, which is yes. a brilliant yeah. thing. Really, really excellent thing to be doing. Well. I've got to say, thank you very much, Shona. That was um, that was really enlightening. Uh, listening to all the things that you've got uh, in your head about writing and reading, uh, really quite exciting. And thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thank I've... you for having me. It's been lovely to talk to you. Well, now we thank just you. have an excuse to corner you at the the fantasy festival. <laughs> of course, can't wait. I am always available to talk to people at fantasy cons. Brilliant, Rob. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. See you on the road. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast... 
Well, magic can only take one so far. The tiny bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a magnificent beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala Alge Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?